Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is leading us into a message about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can find all of that and more on our Brookwood app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. our series, Who is Jesus? And in this series, if you're new to Brookwood, Jesus identifies himself in the book of John using several different metaphors or word pictures. He introduces himself seven times using the personal name of God, the sacred name of God, which is translated in English, I am before utilizing an image which reveals some aspect of his nature, his personhood, or his work. The subject of today's message, which I've titled Perspective, is actually three images, but the message won't be three times as long. But you're off tomorrow anyway, so take out your message guide. From John chapter 14, which is where we'll be focusing, but in verse 6, Jesus told him, him being Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A little background, the setting for this passage. John chapters 13 through 16 focuses on a certain chapter of Jesus' life. And he's with a group of people who, what group? disciples, and they're meeting in what place? Upper room. They were quiet this morning. Some of y'all need to come earlier. (laughs) Where they would share the Passover meal before his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. The arrest would happen in just a few hours, sometime after midnight. Now, the particular passage Referred, is referred to as the farewell discourse. And it includes in particular chapter 13, verse 31 to chapter 16, verse 33. And this discourse, this conversation was given by Jesus to prepare his disciples for his imminent and his tragic, shocking departure. Not only is he sort of helping them brace for what will soon happen, he's also beginning to try to prepare them for what will be not only their privilege, but also their responsibility to carry on his work. Now, after resurrection, Jesus remains on earth for how many days? 40 days. But then after that, he's gone. And so the work is left to them, but he's not leaving them alone. We'll touch that in a moment. But right now, turn to John chapter 14, verse 1. And in this book that's available here, it's on page 867. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. 
If this were not so, what I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Can you feel his question? Now, and then Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, Jesus had predicted his death, his imminent departure, following the triumphal entry into Jerusalem for Passover. But he did so in a veiled way. So if you read these passages, he appears to be saying he'll die, but we're reading it through eyes that have the information of what actually would happen. So on their side, it's not that clear. He talks about a seed must die to um, then yield way for a plant and that he would soon depart, but to depart to where? And realize this, it was even less clear to people who had already made up their mind about who he was and what his role would be. They had already respect, expected he was coming as a Messiah King who would rule on earth, who would drive out the Romans. So even when he said it, they couldn't understand it. Do any of you know someone who gets something in their head and they hold it so tenaciously that you can't change their mind. Do you want to point to someone? <laughs> Quite a few in here. And that's what was happening. They thought they knew. And you see, Jesus seemed to be playing into not only their expectations, but their desires. So they didn't even hear what he was saying clearly. So they couldn't conceive that he would die. Even if they understood that Jesus would soon die, they had no understanding about how to follow him through death. Now they did understand something about the, the resurrection following death, because remember Mary and Martha acknowledged that. So there was some understanding from the speaking and the teaching of the prophets that a resurrection would occur, but, but they didn't have that worked out. They didn't understand how it would happen. So Jesus, as the way, the truth, and the life, provided Thomas, the disciples, and us with a clearer understanding of Jesus' identity, his purpose, and his plan. Now, this threefold statement provides a spiritual perspective, a viewpoint on the world. In other words, if we understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, it ought to inform a Christian worldview for us. And any of us that knows Christ by faith should be able to view this world 
circumstances in which we live, the times in which we live, relationships through the prism of faith. You understand what I'm saying? You ought to be able to interpret everything that occurs, circumstances and situations through the prism of faith. So we shouldn't see events in this world and our culture the same way as unbelievers do. A spiritual perspective includes at least three things that I've listed from this passage. The first is access to God through the way. Again, verse six, Jesus told Thomas, I am the way. But then he continued, no one can come to the Father except through me. Anybody know what Jesus' followers were first called, particularly in the book of Acts? Say it louder. The way, yeah. People of the way. At least six times they're identified as the way. Now, Thomas was confused and he was likely overwhelmed because he had just heard and it's it slowly creeping in that Jesus is departing. Perhaps it means he is going to die. But remember, these men who'd been together for several years have also been informed that one of them was a traitor. One of them would betray Jesus. Now, that would be shocking, wouldn't it? So Thomas asked for directions, but Jesus answered him with a definitive statement that he alone provided access to God. What Jesus said was startling because there were lots of different people and groups touting that they were the way to God or the way for enlightenment or the way for divine inspiration. In fact, among the Jews, there were four different groups and they were very different in their perspective toward God. You know the name of the groups? Pharisees, there's one. Sadducees, that's two. Zealots, somebody back there is doing well. And then there's one more that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. Essenes, Essenes. In addition, remember, the Jews came to Israel. There were people already there. It, it wasn't the Palestinians. Palestinians descended from Philistines in all likelihood. It was the Canaanites. But the Canaanites lived in the land the Jews were given and later inhabited. And the Canaanites had their own gods and idols. Most notably Baal, a male god, and Asherah, a female god. All of Israel's neighboring nations had their own gods and idols. The Romans had a panoply of gods. And the Romans also had the worship of the emperor. There were other sources of, of divine insight and inspiration. There were mystery cults. Some sought astrology for answers. And others just read and studied Greek philosophy. Well, Jesus in his statement has wiped all of that away. Jesus declared the Father is real because some of these groups weren't even real settled on there being one God. Certainly not Jehovah God, Yahweh God. 
So Jesus says, God is real. He is one. He is singular. And I am the exclusive way to access him. Sounds kind of narrow, doesn't it? Especially in our culture. It would have offended many. But remember, he's being consistent because I told you just a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the gate, one gate. And all others who came before me are what? What do you call them? Thieves, that was one. And robbers. They, all others were thieves and robbers. People think that they innately know the way to God, don't they? I mean, we do all have an impression of the, the, the presence of God. Ecclesiastes refers to it as there is eternity in our hearts. People know there's a God. Every person knows so that all are without excuse, Romans 1 says. And at the time of tragedy, you, you hear people all say and pray and thank God and ask God and all of that. You don't hear much of that about that when times are better. But even though people have this impression of God, they take it further and they think that they innately know the way to God. In fact, that each person can have his or her own personal path. Isn't that right? And they're offended if anyone says to them, you're not correct about God or access to God. Is that right? It's a, it's a right that I have to declare who God is and how to get to him. Look at this. There's a path before each person that seems right. Comes from within them, out of their own minds. But it ends in what? What kind of death? Spiritual death, but also physical death. First physical, then, then spiritual. They're already living in spiritual death. Separation from God. See, many people think that all the world's religions lead to the same God who is merely called by different names. Haven't you heard that? It's all the same God. No, it isn't. It's not the same God. There's one true God. All others are false. There are many paths, but they all lead to destruction, save one, the one that passes through Christ alone. Well, that boy, that just sounds, that sounds so narrow. It sounds narrow, doesn't it? You know, I'm about to offend some of y'all probably. Um, but I, I sort of I, I like these um, in a devilish way. I sort of like these uh, bumper stickers that say coexist. Y'all know those. You have one of those still on your car. Coexist. That boy, that, doesn't that sound good? But I want to get a magic marker and just draw on there the ones on that little bumper sticker that hate each other. That are trying to kill each other. That will destroy each other. So they can't even coexist on your bumper sticker. Oh, coexist. You've been smoking something too much, but... Amen. <laughs> Here's the thing. Truth 
by definition, is always narrow. By definition, truth is narrow, it's singular, it's exclusive. And the Bible says that the way of salvation is a small path entered through a narrow gate and there are just not many that find it. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Now Jesus said at John 3, and anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey, because here's the point, and I'll get to this later. If you believe, you do obey. That, those two are always connected. Do you know that? If you believe, you do obey. Because anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Look at this one too, Acts 4. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to get us to start behaving in an elitist manner toward people of other faiths. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to get us to care about people of other faiths. Because we can think, oh, he has his and I have mine and you have yours. It doesn't end up working out that way. There's only one way to the Father, through his Son, specifically by trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Every other way is about works. But how, do, how can your works ever be good enough to satisfy a divine being? And how can you ever have any security that you've done enough? Do you believe there's only one way to the Father? Do y'all? Do you, how about up there in the cheap seats? Have you taken that path? And if there's only one way, what is it motivating you to do? A spiritual perspective also includes accepting Jesus' word as truth. Again, Jesus said, told him, I am the truth. And then he began at verse 7. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, Jesus spoke the absolute truth about the identity, nature, character, plan, and purpose of the father. And here's the thing. In our, in our humanity... We don't have the capacity to comprehend God. We don't have the ability to understand him. We lack the ability to communicate with him or connect with him. Is that right? We can't know God unless he reveals himself to us 
in a way we can comprehend. Matthew 11. My father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father. And no one truly knows the father except the son. And those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So if you know God truly today, it's by revelation. God is who he reveals himself to be. He's not who we wish or prefer or suppose him to be. It's interesting to me how all this, the text world, which I, y'all know I don't have Facebook, I don't have any of those things. But, but sometimes now you can read them on something else. I do read sports and there'll be all kinds of notes and, or, or news and there'll be all these people commenting on. It's amazing the number of people who think they know God and they speak authoritatively about him and sound like idiots. And yet they declare authoritatively who God is and how he functions. Beware, beware, beware. God is who he says he is and who he has shown he is through his son. Jesus personalized the father and he truthfully, faithfully, and fully disclosed the father. That's why I really attempt to strain for us to accurately discern what the scripture is saying, what, what Jesus is showing us. Because my opinions, and I tell you all this, my opinions don't matter. It's only if I can accurately reflect what God's word says that you should even pay any attention to it. Our culture has a claim on Jesus, they think. And, but they relegate Jesus to this religious function of forgiveness. And they make his words about any other matter a suggestion. Something for us to consider, but not the truthful commands of the Father. Jesus' truth extends to everything he addresses. Now, I'm not making a claim that he addressed every single issue that exists. Now, a lot of times, either directly or indirectly, he addressed most things. But where Jesus speaks, he determines right and wrong. He determines moral and immoral. He determines righteous and unrighteous. You willing to receive that? What about my opinion? John 8. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, we have the wrong definition of freedom. 
don't we? We think freedom is the ability to do anything, anywhere, anytime, anyhow we want and suffer no negative consequences, right? There is only freedom within restraint. Do you understand that? There's only freedom to love one woman in a, in a marriage. You're completely free. I'm free to love my lovely wife. Completely free. Only in restraint. We're free to obey Christ. We're free to experience the peace and the security he provides. If any of you have ever lived in a time when you thought you were free, you had no restraints of, of parents, no restraints of children, no restraints of God, no restraints of the Bible, were you free? You thought you were briefly, and you ended up in a trap, didn't you? Without instructions or directions from God about right and wrong, I will be guided by what? Yourself. Or the, the world, the culture, your impulses. That sounds like freedom, doesn't it? You see, when our own opinions become most important to us, who's become God? When your opinions control your life, you have to be God because you have no other. Are you willing to rely on you to pass into eternity? Which way do you want it? Because there's, no, there's no middle ground in this, is there? When Jesus left earth through the ascension, did that mean then that the disciples were on their own? Because realize this, they didn't have much Bible. You realize that, don't you? I mean, it's very doubtful they had copies of the Old Testament carrying around. These guys were fishermen and, you know, maybe one of them had some affluence. Most of them were fairly poor or working class people. They didn't, they, and there weren't a lot of texts or that even existed and they were held in the temples or the very wealthy or someone. And besides that, there's only four books that quote Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only four. Well, how'd they know what to do? How'd they know? Holy Spirit. See, Jesus replaced himself with the Holy Spirit, which increased the immediacy and the intimacy of their and our insight into truth. Because you see, Jesus says a man was a man. You know, he probably was not likely even as tall as me. Probably was a little slimmer. He didn't occupy that much space. He influenced those in his presence who could hear his voice. That was it. 
But look what he said in John 14. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. What are some other words that you have for advocate? Comforter. Counselor. What do you have? Counselor. Another one. Encourager is also there. Sometimes, some translations have helper, right? What did I miss? What did I miss? That's what she said, helper. That's right. That's right. It's the distance, but it could be the years too. Who will never leave you. Never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him. Why can't they? Because they're not looking for him. And they don't want him. And they won't recognize him. But you know him. Because he lives with you now in the person of Jesus, in, his, in the presence with them. And later will be in you. That's what happened at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of truth in John 15, also in John 16. With the spirit living within you, you have everything Jesus has to offer you to live a godly life. And the spirit never leaves you. But I'll say this. The spirit has a personality and an emotional nature. And so you can limit the Spirit's influence on you. What are the, what are the biblical words? You can grieve the Spirit. You can quench the Spirit. You can do both of those things. Quenches of First Thessalonians, grieve, I think is Ephesians 4. You can deliberately sin. You can distance yourself from what the scripture tells you, what the spirit's telling you. You can grieve, you can limit the spirit or you can walk with the spirit and keep in step with the spirit. Are Jesus' words, here's a question, from the Bible or inspired by the spirit, which include the writings of Paul, Peter, and the others, are they truth to you? Are they? Yeah, I need some more enthusiasm that. Chris, are they truth to you? No, no, I got to hear. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I like that. Okay, here, here's... Some of y'all don't answer because y'all know I'm setting a trap for you. Do you believe they're truth? Okay. Whatever you think is true, you always do. You agree with that? Do I need to say it again? I better say it over here. Whatever you 
truly believe is true, you always do. Every one of us operates according to what is true. So if you say, oh, well, I believe this, but I'm doing this, you don't believe that's true. You might, you might give lip service, but you always invariably, without exception, operate in your truth. So in other words, if you want to know what you believe, look in the mirror. Ask somebody to take a look. Because what you say you believe, if, if it's truth, it will always show. No variance. No variance at all. And for, in fact, not only do we always do what we believe is true, what we truly believe, it won't be burdensome. 1 John 5, 3. You'll just do it. A spiritual perspective also includes a testing that Jesus offers eternal life. Now, a test means experience, but also give witness to. John 14, 6, again, Jesus told him, I am the life. But then we jump to 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. What did he, what was he, what did he want? Yeah, what, what? Some kind of magic trick, right? He'd already seen miracles. But you know what can happen? You could be some, so, you can become so familiar to the supernatural that it's no longer that super. It's only natural. And the fact that they grew up and walked around for years with this guy and saw him every day. He ate and he slept and he, you know, after a while they just got familiar with him. So they needed something else special, more special than the blind seeing and the lame walking. One little fellow's lunch feeding thousands. And he says, well, show us something. Show us something. Show us the father. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. See, the life that Jesus lived and displayed was a human life. If you're thinking, well, he was really God and just appeared human. No, fully human, God-filled, spirit-led without hesitation, complete faith, but fully human. And Jesus not only demonstrated what eternal life looks like in human form, he offers it to us, John 5. The Father has life in himself. He has granted that same life-giving power to his Son, 
The universe wasn't created spontaneously. Life can only derive from life. Chemicals can't spontaneously create life. And even chemicals have life within the atoms. Jesus imparted physical life to all things creatively. Scripture's very clear. John 1, 3, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Colossians 1, 16, Hebrews 1, 2. Death cannot create life. Regeneration can only come if it's imparted life from a living source. So Jesus, it says, spoke life into being, the Logos. And then through the Spirit, he imparts spiritual life, eternal life to all who believe through being born again. And so this unending eternal life that he offers to us means to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. And I think that, that Jesus on earth, particularly in these latter days of his earthly ministry, desired for people to recognize the distinct difference between ordinary physical life and eternal spiritual life. We've got it confused kind of. So we've sort of said, well, if you go to church, you have eternal life. But that's not what he's saying. You can have physical life and go to church sometimes and even live pretty morally. That's not the same as eternal spiritual life. And when he says, I am the life, what he's doing is he's inviting you to compare yourself with him. Jesus showed his desire for people to understand the nature of eternal life because he referred to it several times among these names in this, ser in this series that I'm using now. Because he said in John 6, I'm the bread of life. Meaning, you eat of me, you're never hungry again. He said in, in John 11, and I'm the resurrection and so when you die, you'll live again. In fact, you'll never die. And I think Jesus is emphasizing for us this distinct differences between physical life resulting from birth and a life that's infused by the Holy Spirit following rebirth. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you? Have you received eternal life? That's, that's the pivotal issue. And that means, have you been born again? And how does this spiritual eternal life differ from your physical life? Are the, could, you, could you list the way they're different? They're not the same, are they? And you can, you can be well-meaning and even 
be interested in, 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 in God and his word and all, but you, you must be born again. Because only the eternal life passes through to heaven. Jesus is the way that, who, leads, who leads us to the Father. He's the truth who tells us what is real. He's the life who shows us how to live. Have you reached the Father, received the truth, experienced the life that Jesus offers? You can. He asks, he offers. Counselors will be here at the front and in the Care Connection room. Let me urge you, next week is the first Sunday. So I urge you, if you would, we pray at 8.15. Please come and join us. Even if it's inconvenient, try to do it just once a month because we, we pray for God to work in our midst because it's not human, it's spiritual when lives change. These folks are here to talk with you, to pray with you, to anoint you with oil for healing. Father, we do thank you for this word. And Lord, help us to live knowing that you alone are the way. You alone provide the truth. And only you can impart everlasting life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Have a nice weekend. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our past messages on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.